On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1191 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday. And thank you as always for joining us on the podcast today. If you are a new listener, please subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify, etc. If you're a returning listener, thank you as always for joining us. And we'll dive into what became a pretty interesting game for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the top lies that the Hawks won this game, which is the most important thing, a 117-114 to victory over the Wizards on the road. It was not always pretty. In fact, the second half, I would say the Hawks did not play well at all, but they were able to avoid disaster and escape with the victory. And on the road in the NBA sometimes, that's kind of all you have to ask for. And with this win, the Hawks now won five out of the last seven games. That is a positive development for this season. That has kind of just had like lots, lots of twists and turns along the way for Atlanta. But in this one, they didn't have their A game necessarily, but they were able to get the win, which is the most important thing. So we're into the game now, but the Hawks did lead wire to wire in this one. In fact, they never once trailed. It was never even tied after 0-0, but the Wizards were back within one point multiple times in the fourth quarter. So it was about as close as it possibly could be without ever actually having a deficit in this one for Atlanta. But, uh, you know, you can certainly frame this one way and that the Hawks controlled the entire way, which is certainly the case. The Hawks were in control of this game from wire to wire, but on the other side, uh, we'll get into sort of the, the nuance, the details here, but the Hawks kind of gave a lot back in the second half, and a better team than Washington might have uh, overcome the deficit that they were facing, but fortunately for the Hawks, Wizards are not very good at this point in time. So we'll get into all of this stuff again briefly at the top of the podcast, but honestly, it was a very, very difficult schedule spot for the Hawks. If you're looking for a little bit of an excuse or even an explanation, if you want to be more favorable for the Hawks' downturn in the second half of this game, I talked about it last night on the show, and by the way, that, that show is still very much available as well as the mailback earlier this week, and uh, it's very, very busy on the podcast right now in early March. But basically, this is about as tough of a schedule spot as there is in the NBA. The Wizards had two days off before this game, and they played on Tuesday at home, so they had no travel and two days off. The Hawks had, of course, a back-to-back with travel going from Atlanta on Thursday to Washington. Not the longest trip in the world, but you know, given that it's a back-to-back with travel and Washington was well-rested, a tough spot for the Hawks. Um, I guess the headliner other than the win itself was the return of John Collins in this game. I will quickly note though, that Trey Young was not listed on the injury report at all. That does not mean that he's hundred percent healthy with the ankle, but after he was listed as questionable, kind of went, went down to the wire on Thursday, whether he was going to play or not, no ill signs there for Trey, which is a positive, but Collins returned for the first time since February 11th. He missed seven games. Um, he was a game time decision with that ankle, uh, sorry, with, with the foot strain that he's been having and sort of dealing with for about, you know, three, four, three, three and a half weeks now, something like that. So Nate McMillan was coy as always about his return. Pretty interesting stuff here in that he did not start in this game and he was on a restriction of some kind. McMillan did acknowledge that after the game. We kind of already knew that when he was uh, not going to start this game. We don't really know what the, what the number was. I'll come back to this later on in the show, but I am skeptical that the Hawks did not exceed the restriction in this game for John Collins, to be honest with you, but we'll get back into that later. But one point of uh, inter- interest here is that this is the first time Collins come off the bench in more than three years. His last game off the bench was November 19th of 2018. It was a very similar spot. He had already been the established starter for the Hawks, but he had an injury earlier that season and was coming off a very long layoff. And just like this, they sort of eased him in slowly, but he started like 200 plus games in a row 
before this and uh, worth noting there. Elsewhere on the injury report, Akongwu missed this game for the Hawks. He's still in the concussion protocol. People asking when he'll be back. I don't know the answer. Neither does the team. He has to test out of that. So we'll see if he can return on Monday. But for now, he was out and was always ruled out for this game ahead of time. Washington uh, was without Bradley Beal and Christoph Porzingis in this game. Um, you know, on paper, on paper, they're two best players. Porzingis has been out for the Wizards, but Beal has been out for a while. And like I said before, the Wizards are just not very good. I know they are the closest team to the Hawks in the standings behind them in the East. And that does matter. Washington has won games this year that they probably shouldn't have won, et cetera. But if you look at the net rating and the numbers, they're number, they're number 23 in net rating for the full season, and that includes a bunch of games with Bradley Beal. So without Beal in the lineup, they are not very good. And that was definitely on, on display in this game. In fact, but online, our friends over there made the Hawks four-point favorites in the morning, even with the uncertainty with Collins. And by tip-off, the Hawks were favored by six. Of course, the Hawks did not cover in this game. So if you lay the points with the Hawks, my apologies, the Hawks were uh, the better team in this one. They just could not hold on to that. But it kind of tells you, even on the road, even with the tough schedule spot, the Hawks were still favored by six points at tip-off, which kind of is an indictment of the Wizards at this stage. We'll get into the game now. Um, the Hawks, I thought, were really good on offense in the first half, particularly in the early portion of this game. They were getting the, downhill into the rim early. They got, they got to the foul line. They were in the bonus a ton in this game. Took a lot of free throws throughout this one. Capella had an early dunk. Hunter was very good and aggressive in this game, attacking the rim. He had seven points in the first four minutes. Um, rotationally, it was interesting in that, you know, it's been similar stuff with Bogdanovich coming as the first sub with Hunter going to the four. That, that still happened in this game because um, other than Kevin Hunter having some foul trouble, and he actually left this game later on. We'll come back to that with, with an injury. Collins basically was just the backup center in this game, which I think actually was a good piece of coaching from McMillan. If you know that Collins cannot play more than you know 20-ish minutes in the game, having him on the floor when Capella wasn't on the floor made a ton of sense given that Okongwu was out. So it might sound strange to do that, but again, only because Collins is restricted in terms of his minutes did this make sense. Like Once he's back and able to play again, yeah, he can still be, he can still be the backup center if he needs to be, but he was just the pure backup for Capella in this game, which actually worked out pretty well. Um, they used Lou for Trey, and it was a nine-man rotation, basically the same rotation as it was on Thursday, except for with Collins replacing Gorgie Jang, which is not a huge surprise there. Um, again, the offense was pretty crisp early on. Defensively, it was not great. The Wizards did score, um, not at will, but certainly comfortably in the first half. The Hawks did finally get five stops in a row late in the first quarter to build their first uh, sort of sizable lead at eight late in the period. They led by eight points actually at the end of the quarter because Bogey had a floater at the buzzer. There were lots of buzzer beaters in this game. In fact, it was almost a buzzer beating shot to tie the game at the very, very end from Kuzma, but we'll come back to that later on. I thought Hunter was really good throughout the night. They had 11 points in the first quarter. The Hawks got to the line nine times in the first quarter, only one turnover. And defensively, they were better as the game wore on in the first half. Still not great for the entire way, honestly, but at least they stabilized a little bit once they got settled in. Um, second quarter-wise, the Hawks got a couple of early threes from Bogey and, Gal and Gallinari. Collins had an easy bucket as well. He had a smooth pull-up jump shot. Really no signs of Collins kind of being limited um, physically in this game. Of course, we're all kind of guessing as to his status. He gave a, mid he gave a sort of mid-game interview, and also McMillan said after the game that he, that he talked to him and he, and he felt fine. So you have to assume that he is back with some cl something close to 100%. Um, obviously, he's going to have to ramp back up in terms of minutes and full workload. He talked about like needing his win to get back. But um, he played more than nine minutes in his first stint and then played a bunch straight in the second half, so no real concerns there. Um, Capella had two great blocks on Daniel Gaffer and Corey Kispert in the second quarter after he came back in for Collins. 
they kind of had a pretty stagnant stretch on offense in the middle of the quarter, and the Wizards got back within five. Um, and really, you know, the Hawks did have the one big run late in the first half, an 11-2 to two push to go by 14, but Washington had a three at the buzzer, and the Hawks led by nine. Still, I would say the Hawks played pretty well in the first half. Uh, I'm qualifying that by saying the first half. The second half, they really weren't very good, which we'll come back to. But the Hawks were, were awesome on offense, undeniably, before halftime. A 142 offensive rating in the first half for the Hawks. That is absolutely, like, incredibly elite stuff. They shot the ball great from everywhere. 52%, 52% from the floor, 42% from three, 17 of 19 at the line in the first half. Um, 26 points in the paint. That's obviously a lot. And the free throw attempts are sky high in addition to making all of them. Only one turnover, and that was something that, that carried over the entire game, was the ball security was elite from the Hawks in this game. Atlanta is already number one in the league in turnover avoidance this year. But this back-to-back, they were even better than usual. Just nothing in terms of giving the other team opportunities. That's, it's been a strength of the Hawks for a long time, but it's been a huge strength in these two games. Um, the glass was their favorite, as it was, was favored to the Hawks in this game as well. Hunter had 17 in the first in the first half. It was really balanced overall as well. Uh, defensively, it was not quite as good. They allowed a 123 offensive rating to the Wizards. Not great, necessarily. Um, the Wizards did shoot very well and had 19 assists in the first half. In fact, the Wizards had 37 assists and lost at home. It's a wild stat there. Uh, that, that's like a season-high kind of stat for a lot of teams. So uh, kind of a weird half, but the Hawks were truly awesome before halftime. I don't want to lose sight of that because I'll probably rag on the Hawks a little bit in the second half of this podcast, but I want to at least put a, put a pin in it now. The Hawks really were awesome on offense in the first half, and particularly getting downhill, getting to the rim, and establishing themselves. They, they sort of regressed on that later in the game, but it was quite a 24 minutes of offensive basketball for Atlanta in the first half. All right, before we get to the second half of this game, some context, some player observations, some overall takeaways, etc. a word from our sponsors on the show today. Basketball is running at full steam right now, both pro and college hoops, and in March, my favorite sport, basketball, takes center stage on a number of levels with the latest odds, totals, props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. And beyond that, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And of course, it's not just basketball. Even if we love basketball on this podcast, because BetOnline has a full slate of offerings. BetOnline has the source for hockey and boxing, UFC, auto racing, golf, tennis, soccer, baseball, when it actually happens, entertainment, and horse racing odds, plus every prop you could possibly think of. Head about online right now or use a mobile device to learn more about all of the trends and the action today. Bet online where the game starts. Okay, we're getting the second half now. And uh, as I sort of alluded to, it was not nearly as good. And I do think, you know, this is obviously there's, a, there's some gray area here, but I think if the Hawks played a better opponent, they would have lost this game based on their performance in the second half. Um, that doesn't mean they were terrible in the entire game because they weren't. They played well enough to win on the road. And again, that's something to be said for that. But the Wizards uh, cut it to four pretty quickly coming out of the halftime break. KCP was really good for the Wizards. He's sort of been a Hawks killer in his time. Of course, he's from Georgia, played at Georgia, et cetera. He was really good in this game for Washington. Um, Trey hit sort of a shimmy three in the corner, one of his patented uh, – a shot where he just has way too much time on his hands and makes the shot. Um, but the lead was down to four, and really, again, the Hawks led the entire way, but it was never comfortable really in the entire second half, to be honest. They brought in Bogey as the first sub again. Same rotation structure as the first half for the most part. But the Hawks settled a lot in the second half, particularly in the third quarter. They were 5 of 22 from the floor in the first eight minutes of the third. They called timeout only up by one late in the third period. Bogey had a great stretch that ended up being kind of pivotal for them late in the third quarter. He had eight points in about two and a half minutes to give the Hawks a little bit of boost that they absolutely had to have, including a buzzer beater to go up by nine. So the Hawks ended up pushing in terms of like they tied the quarter in the third, which is crazy because the Hawks did not play well 
in that core, but Bogey kind of put them on put them on his back late in the period, and the Hawks defensively were better than they have been in the first half, which kind of definitely was a, a factor. But the Hawks were nine of thirty-one from the floor in the third quarter and ended up tying the quarter because the Wizards, who actually shot the ball well, had seven turnovers in the quarter, which is a 28 turnover pace in the game. That tells you how many that is for a quarter. Uh, the Hawks did go back up by 11 at one point, actually at two different points in the fourth quarter. And that was their most comfortable advantage. Lou hit a three early in the period. Hunter hit back-to-back threes with about seven minutes to go. Um, but Washington kept pushing back. Collins played a ton. He played 11 straight minutes. Then he came back out. We'll come back to this in a second. But he, he ended up coming back in the game, which I don't think was going to be uh, the favor of the training staff, to be honest with you. But we'll get into the crunch time now, sort of fast forward to that. The Hawks were up 10 with about four minutes to go. And that should be a pretty comfortable lead. Like, it's not over, but you are in total control at that stage. But KCP, who had another three in this game, he was really awesome for the Wizards. Um, then Herter went straight to the locker room. In fact, Trey had to, give a, uh, had to give a foul to stop play intentionally, and Herter just didn't even slow down, went straight to the locker room. It came, it seemed, after throwing sort of a cross-court pass with his left arm. And McMillan said after the game that, it was, he, that he believed it's a left shoulder issue of some sort for Herter. Nothing specific at this point in time as I record this, but – that's typical Hawks, and the Hawks actually won't practice or always gather on Saturday because they had the back-to-back. So we may not get any, any word on, on Herter until Sunday, but clearly that'd be a huge loss if he has any sort of real injury. And McMillan seemed optimistic, but uh, obviously a little bit too early to tell on that one. Um, then Washington, right after that, decided to hack Capella on purpose, which candidly, as a, a, a sort of an observer of the NBA, that was a move that I liked if I'm the Wizards in that spot because – in my mind, Collins was probably going to be done at that, at that stage. He had already come out of the game. I assumed he was done. And because Capella is a bad free throw shooter and the Wizards were trailing at that point, it would have been a good sort of high-variant strategy for the Wizards. Capella split his first two free throws to tie to uh, start to put the Hawks up by eight points, and then Nate put Collins back in. So on one hand, that's the obvious decision to make if Collins is available to play because Collins is really good, number one, also is a better free throw shooter. They, they won't hack him. Um, defensively, he's not the same as Capella, but obviously a better offensive player. But I I would guess or at least estimate or at least infer, this is again, me not, I'm not reporting this. I'd be surprised if the training staff was, was thrilled by Collins playing 15 of the final 16 minutes in his first game back when he was coming off the bench with a restriction. That is not ideal. And I don't know if he was just out of minutes or what the restriction was. McMillan's not going to tell us that. But uh, I at least have a shoulder shrug on that one. I was kind of surprised they brought him back in. I know they kind of needed to, quote-unquote, with Capella being intentionally fouled, but uh, a weird one, let's just say. There's some context there. There's some nuance there. If the training staff was going to be cool with it, then that's totally fine, and none of this really matters. But if they weren't, then that's uh, sort of a question mark. Regardless, it seems like Collins is fine, which is uh, the most positive takeaway from that. But the Hawks sort of ex- exchange empty trips offensively for a while in that stage. Uh, Trey had an offensive foul. The Wizards cut, cut it to six. Then DeLon Wright had a huge bucket, I thought, on a floater with about a minute and a half to go to go by eight. And again, it felt kind of safe, but not all the way. Then the Wizards got hot. They made a three. It's five again. Bogey turned it over. And then after that, the Wizards almost turned it over with about a minute to go. The Hawks challenged the pass that went out of bounds. A good challenge, I think. At least I understand it. It was so late in the game that you, you don't want to just go down swing without your challenge. So... And also, it was high leverage enough. It would have been definitely a you know, clear possession change. But uh, it was not enough to overturn, and they, they lost that challenge. But fortunately, the Hawks got a stop at that, at that stage when Collins blocked Neto's layup at the rim. That should have ended the game because the Hawks were up by five with the ball. But 
The Wizards didn't foul immediately, which I thought was a terrible decision by Washington after I liked the, the hack of Capella for them. Uh, there was like a 26 seconds on the clock and a 24-second shot clock. So if they don't foul, like you, you just have to foul there. Uh, with Down by three, I should say. Um, they didn't foul. Bizarre stretch. Um, they finally did, eventually. Trey missed what I thought was a pretty bad shot at the rim. He tried to score when they, when they kind of didn't need to. But they did kill like 17 seconds of clock time, which is effective. But then KCP, that man again, hits another three, and the Hawks are suddenly up by only two. That is uh, not what you want to do, to be honest with you. So the Hawks try to score, you know, lots of uh, lots of weirdness there overall. Trey, you know, a couple of questionable shots. We'll say he was not his best in this game after he was obviously awesome on Thursday. But they end up following Trey with 13 seconds to go. He made both, but kind of needs some shooters rolls at the rim to uh, get those to fall in that spot. Then, of course, the Wizards hit another three. So if you're being devil's advocate, the Wizards did make all of their big shots at the end of this game, except for the final, final one. But they hit another three, and the Hawks are only by one with five seconds to go. Now, I will say this. This is a bad process note for McMillan. Uh, they had Trey on the court defensively on a possession where they could have taken him out, and the Hawks are up by four with 12 seconds to go. If you get a stop, the game is over. Like, full stop. And Trey's on the court. Now, I know you don't have the most deep personnel without Herter available at that stage, but you could have just put Capella in the game. You could have just put, you know, basically anybody other than Trey into the game uh, just to play defense in that spot. I, I guess the generous thing would be that, you know, if Herter was available, maybe, maybe they'd do that. And DeLon was already out there and obviously lose not any better than Trey. So maybe that's, that's what, maybe that's what it was, but I think you just put Capella in the game. At that stage, you're getting one stop and also a rebound, which Capella very much helps with. It didn't burn them, but I didn't love that whatsoever. Um, they give up the three-pointer, three obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, ugly. So, they get to Trey in the backcourt. A good inbounds pass there, by the way. Um, they instantly foul him. He makes both. And then Kyle Kuzma has a three-pointer at the gun that would have tied up from like 40 feet. Obviously, a low percentage shot, but a clean look. And honestly, live, I thought it was going in. I think everybody did. Hit the back rim. Good-looking shot, but the Hawks escape from there. Takeaways now on the uh, on what transpired here. So the Hawks, again, never trailed, never tied. And the offensive numbers for the entire game were actually good. A 122 offensive rating for the game, that's obviously excellent. Um, Shooting-wise, they weren't great. 55% from true shooting is not terrible, but not incredible either. Kind of middling number there. But four turnovers in the entire game. That is huge. They also won the glass on both ends of the floor. Um, only 18 assists which kind of illustrates some of the lack of ball movement that they had in this game, but 34, 34 free throw attempts. So if the Hawks only have four turnovers and 34 free throw attempts in any game, they're going to win an obscenely high percentage of the time. Just the, just do the math on that with, with their, with their personnel, their talent, take care of the ball like that, take a bunch of, take a bunch of free throws and then also win the class. You want to add that in there as well. That's a heck of a recipe for a baseline. Um, even if they didn't shoot great in this game, but the second half truly was terrible. Um, both process-wise and results-wise. I can go through this play-by-play. Play. I've watched this tape now. It was really as bad as I thought it was real-time. But for the numbers, uh, 32% from the floor in the second half. A24 from three is not like terrible, terrible, but not good either. They basically stopped attacking the rim. Lots of settling, lots of one, pa one pass or no pass possessions, lots of contested jumpers. Um, they only scored four points in the paint in the second half. That is terrible. Like the worst team in the league, just for reference, averages – like 40 points in the paint per game. So uh, by proxy, the worst team in the league averages 20 points a game in the paint. <laughs> uh, sorry, for, for half. And uh, the Hawks had four. 
And after, and that was after they had 26 in the first half. So they were bailed out by their offensive rebounding. They had nine offensive rebounds in the second half. That obviously helped them a lot with extra possessions. And they also, again, took care of the ball. But offensively, that was about as bad of a half as the Hawks have had in a while as a collective unit, both numbers and performance-wise. Again, it didn't kill them, but I wanted to say that out loud. Like, it was not a good second half. All the way down to the end, even the execution late was not perfect either, even the free-throw shooting was good from Trey in particular. Uh, defensively, they did not perform fantastically. The Wizards scored about 1.2 points per possession in the game. That is not what you want. And the Wizards had, the Wizards had a 64% true shooting mark in the game. That's an elite figure for Washington. But again, the Hawks had 10 fewer turnovers, and they took 25, yes, 25 more free throw attempts than the Wizards. That is how you win a game on the margins when the other team outshoots you because the Wizards flat out outshot the Hawks in this game, but the Hawks won all the other stuff. And that is uh, when it ends up bailing them out. Other than assists. Uh, assists, by the way, the Wizards had more than twice as many assists, 37 to 18. That's a crazy, crazy split. But at the end of the day, you put it all up. The Hawks did enough to win. Washington did not take advantage of some opportunities on their side. And at the end of the game, at the, at the end of the day, the Hawks, uh, yeah, two wins in two days. And uh, given what the Hawks have been doing all the season long, kind of losing a game that they, that they should win, maybe they, maybe they got one back uh, in this one, winning a game that they maybe should have lost, <laughs> to be honest with you. So we'll come back to that with more, with more context on the player side in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. With Built Bar on my side this year, then a much better job to one of my resolutions for the new year, and that is resolution is to eat right. Honestly, it feels like it's not even really a resolution anymore because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars from the protein-infused puff bars. They're fantastic to all of the other options at Built Bar that are all fan favorites. Each and every Built Bar has 100% real chocolate, which makes it honestly a huge difference, and it tastes fantastic. On top of the taste, Built Bars are low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars this year, both in taste and to improve your nutrition. If you go to built.com right now, look at the nutrition information, you'll be blown away by it because most built bars only have four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. That is all appetizing if you're on some sort of plan to keep an eye on your weight and your fitness. In terms of flavors, built bar has a ton of favorites like coconut almond, mint brownie, and also new flavors each and every month. Each flavor is delicious and they have new flavors coming all the time. And the best way to check out everything from built bar is to go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 when you're there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. That's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, we'll dive into the player stuff now for the Hawks in this game. And, you know, for the most part, it was generally okay, other than I think Trey will come back to was not great by his standards. But on the bench, uh, it was a nine-man rotation, again, for the Hawks. Lou Williams had some nice minutes, uh, eight points in 14 minutes. He was efficient, had two assists, plus six, and that gave them some good minutes off the bench, one of, the, one of his better games recently. Um, I thought DeLon Wright made a couple of huge plays defensively late in the game, had two steals and a block, had a big bucket late, also made three free, th three free throws, and uh, did his job, was plus three, 20, 25 minutes in place of Herter down the stretch. Um, Collins, in his first game back in a while, looked like Collins. Like, he didn't shoot well from the perimeter. He was 0-3 from three. But I don't worry about that at all with him right now. He's been established as a good shooter for multiple, year multiple years now. Uh, Nine points, six rebounds in 25 minutes, looked like himself, and uh, had a steal, had a block, and an assist. Just a generally positive step. As long as the foot checks out between now and Monday, I would say it was a definite success to have him back in the lineup, but just a huge boost for the Hawks overall. Bogdanovich had a couple of huge shots, as he has for a while now. In fact, coming into the night, he had been averaging almost 18 a game since he returned from the injury in late January and shooting about 41% from three. Uh, and this one, 17 points, six rebounds, two assists, two steals, three from three. 
so basically this is about what he's been doing for a month plus and that's basically I mean, if, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way if bogey had been doing what he's doing since late january from the start of the season and was coming off the bench he'd be the six man he'd be the six man of the year in the nba that, that's kind of the way that i would put it like he's basically been the best reserve in the, in the nba for six weeks now now will that continue we'll see will he always come off the bench we'll see but he's playing stars minutes he's playing at a high level and uh, this is the this is the guy that you know is a top seventy five player in the league something like that. He's a good good player, and uh, having him having him on your bench to anchor the second unit it's been huge for Atlanta, and uh, they've been playing better basketball as a result. To the starters, uh, Herter had kind of a quiet night before he exited with the injury again. The shoulder is a question. We'll see what, what happens with that between the, between now and Monday's game. But five points, two rebounds, and an assist for Herter in twenty two minutes. Um, only one of five on twos in this one. A couple of uh, sort of floater range shots that didn't fall for him. He, he was plus four. I think defensively he did his job for the most part, but wasn't like perfect either there. So um, the big question there is the shoulder. We'll come back to that as we get more information. Uh, Gallinari was also not fantastic, but actually was was a game best plus 13, which is kind of funny because he only had 10 points on 10 shooting possessions and then defensively was his usual self. But um, the plus minus in that one kind of misleading, I think. I think he was just okay to maybe even slightly below average for him, for him in this game, but he, he, he was okay. They were at least able to play him. Um. Capella was really good, I thought. 12 points, 12 rebounds, and three blocks for Clint. 5-9 from the floor, 2-4 from the free throw line. Uh, you know, 23 minutes. With Collins back, he, he probably played less than he would have. Like, I'll say this. If Jang was playing instead of Collins, you would have seen Capella play probably 10 more minutes in this game or more. But I thought Clint was really good defensively, as he has been for a long time. And I think offensively, he did his job in this game as well. Had eight, eight offensive rebounds in this one. Big-time stuff from Clint. Um... Deborah Hunter was awesome. 26 points on 8 of 12 from the floor, 7 of 7 from the free throw line, 3 of 5 from 3. Um, some of that's just getting his shot back, but I thought he was pretty aggressive in attacking the rim. To take 5-3, which is totally fine if he's open, get him up for DeAndre. He's, he's been a good shooter this year from three-point range on the whole, but 5-7 on twos plus 7 free throws. I was encouraged by that more than anything. Like Not a whole lot of like pull-ups, just going to the rim, getting fouled, being aggressive, using his physicality, and then defensively doing what he usually does. So he was minus nine, but I don't really care about that. I think that this, this two-game stretch for him was huge after the way that he really, really, really flopped in Boston on Tuesday. Having him come back and uh, finding some confidence, finding some aggressiveness was a huge sign for the Hawks moving forward. And then Trey Young, uh, 25 points and eight, 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 eight assists. So that's not too bad for Trey, obviously. But actually, I think he was uh, pretty below average. I would say strongly below average by his standards. And that kind of speaks to his standards because he's a superstar player. But he was brilliant on Thursday. He was not brilliant in this game by his standards again. Um, he was three of 11 on twos and three of 11 on threes. So some synergy there, but also pretty bad synergy. Got to the line for 11 attempts, but a lot of those, uh, I think the last, at least the last four, maybe even the last six were actually intentional free throws. So there's some value in that to having like a high eighties, maybe 90% free throw shooter, um, on your team as the best player. There's some uh, huge peripheral stuff there, but before that Trey was not playing his best. Um, had some bad moments offensively, had some bad moments defensively. Not his fault that he was out there on that last possession defensively when he probably shouldn't have been, but he, he actually had a breakdown on that play. So um, I won't pile on. Trey is obviously the face of the franchise and is an awesome player, and it speaks to how good he is that he can score 25, 25 points at eight assists while not playing well, but he didn't play well in this game. That's okay. He's allowed. Um, from here, the standings are updated as of the time that I'm recording this podcast on Friday evening. And I believe, yeah, nobody else is, is in action tonight from the East. With the win, the Hawks are now up to solo ninth in the East. They have a half-game lead on the Hornets for 10th, and they have a two-and-a-half game lead now on the Wizards. That is uh, obviously a positive development there. They are only a half-game behind the Nets, who are 
on a three-game losing streak at this stage. The Nets are the Nets, and that's uh, you know they're threatening when they're healthy. But the Hawks are in good are in good shape. And uh, by the way, don't look now. The Hawks have another chance to get back to 500. They haven't been there in quite some time. Um, the Hawks were last 500. I'm looking it up now because I forgot to write this down. Yeah, they were last 500 at 14 and 14. So it's been a while. They had a chance when they were 24 and 25, and they lost. They had a chance at 25 and 26, and they lost. So they will have another chance this time around on Monday in Detroit. That's a game that the Hawks are going to be favored in. Uh, the, the podcast will be off for the weekend and maybe return on a Sunday into Monday, but at the very last, every Monday, Monday into Tuesday, but they play Monday in Detroit, then Wednesday in Milwaukee. That's much more of a test than the Detroit game for sure. Before they come home for three games in four nights at State Farm Arena next weekend. That'll be interesting. But a quick note here at the end of the podcast, the NBA announced today that the Hawks Bucks game will not be on ESPN anymore. That's supposed to be an ESPN game for the Hawks on Wednesday. That's going to be replaced by, by Suns Heat. Uh, Hawks fans are mad about this. I totally understand that. Anytime your team gets a uh, national TV game pulled, I understand the outrage, but I will just point out that the Suns and Heat are both the number one seeds in the conferences. So that's kind of all you need to know about why the ESPN folks did this. Um, there are obviously some injuries on the Phoenix side right now, but obviously there's some appeal to having a one versus one in that spot. So I get it. Uh, I'll be intrigued by Hawks Bucks on Wednesday for sure. And also I'll be intrigued by Hawks Pistons on Monday because I'm a sicko, but uh, that's what's happening. That's, that's what's happening there. If you will, you will at least have a chance to watch locally on Valley Sports Southeast, and you'll be have a chance to watch uh, nationally on League Pass, and uh, nothing else will be lost there on the Hawks side. All right, that'll do it for today's podcast. Uh, I've been pleading for this for a while, so my apologies. I'm going to do it one more time on this podcast. We are trying to get the YouTube channel off the ground, and I have established a goal of 1,000 subscribers to the YouTube channel by the end of the regular season, and that's like five weeks away. So we have some lifting to do at this point in time, but if you can, you can find the Locked On Hawks YouTube channel link in the description of this podcast, or you can find it on my Twitter feed at BT Roland or on the show's Twitter page at Locked On Hawks. Please subscribe also on your audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave some five-star reviews and ratings, et cetera, Google Podcasts, Facebook has podcasts, podcasts are everywhere, but find your player of choice, subscribe there, and also help us juice the numbers a little bit by subscribing, unsubscribing, all that, doing all that fun stuff to support podcasts. Thank you for listening to the show, everybody. It's been a busy week, five shows in five days, as we often, uh, I would say, usually do on this podcast. But that'll be it for the rest of the week, unless there's something crazy over the weekend. We'll come back next week with much more. And again, uh, I really, really appreciate all the support. We'll see you at the very latest on Monday.